Thank you, Katie. I love that story. It's, it seems so much in line with what a lot of experience, right? We, we push, we take these little baby steps of vulnerability into community, and God shows up in that space, and slowly but surely, he begins to transform us. You guys know a lot of times here at H2O, we'll talk about all these events, right? And you'll get video promos, and you'll get announcements and highlights. I'm sure Abby is going to share highlights later of things that we're inviting you to. And it can seem like, okay, this is obnoxious. Men's and women's retreats, and spring break trips, and mission trips, and LT. And this, Katie's story, is one of the reasons why we're, we're so passionate about these, these events. Is because they just seem to be these little catalysts for relationships to push forward. Just a little bit a little deeper, a little more connected. Relationships with one another, and then ultimately relationships between us and the Lord, right? They're a catalyst for our growth in this journey that we're on. Uh, So next time you hear us announce something, uh, understand that's our heart. Our heart is that each of us would be experiencing what Katie's getting a taste of, pushing into community, pushing into vulnerability, and seeing God show up. So thank you so much for sharing, Katie. That was awesome. And now, guys, it's back to Kings. We're going back to the Old Testament. If you haven't been here with us the last couple weeks, we have been going through this series on the book of Kings, or not the book of Kings, uh, Old Testament Kings, the story of some of the kings, to see what we can learn about the Lord from these passages in the Old Testament and maybe about ourselves. And, And last week, we basically learned that Solomon's household was a complete train wreck. Is that a good summary of what we learned? I feel like that's what I got out of it. From 1 Kings chapter 11, this is what it says. This is how King Solomon's household is described. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they be with you. Now shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. This is the description of Solomon's household. Now all these wives were part of this alliance network he had between nations, and they were means to obtaining heirs to the throne. And and all these wives and these women, they they were not of all similar social rank. Some were from lesser families, and they would have been designated as concubines. And so their children wouldn't have been included in the royal succession. This This is the picture of what's happening. Now, as a married man with one spouse, I'll be honest, I read this, and I can't even imagine how this worked. I can't even imagine what this household was like. Right, And we live in a time, we live in a culture where we talk a lot about how dramatically our family environment can affect a child, right? How our family systems have affected us and still affect us today. What would it have been like to have been one of Solomon's children? I don't, that's, uh, that's a lot of counseling, I would imagine. I can't picture what it had been like. All I know is that over the past few weeks while I've been thinking about this and studying this, every time one of my kids expresses disappointment in my parenting, I just want to tell them it could be worse. It could be way worse, right? I'm actually doing better than the wisest man who ever lived. <laughs> Which, think about that for a minute, right? This is, this is his family life. 
And there weren't just domestic issues going on, right? Dave talked about this last week with Solomon. There was deep spiritual dysfunction. In verse 4 of chapter 11, it says this, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away, turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So the children of Solomon, they got to watch as he grew older, his faith drift away from God. And listen, I'm not talking about, hey, dad doesn't seem to go to church anymore. I'm talking about active worship of false gods. The rest of the chapter, it lists out some of the false gods, the foreign gods that they worship. Ashtoreth was a, a goddess of sex and fertility whose worship involved sexual rites. Molech worship involved human sacrifices, often involving children, which was obviously strictly prohibited in the law of the Israelites. This is intense spiritual fall. And likewise, the kingdom, the situation of, of the kingdom, the nation, is very bleak. Enemies are being raised up in the kingdom. Even within Israel, there's fighting. Jeroboam rebels against Solomon because Solomon was harsh with the tribes of Israel. He was inscripting them to force labor under harsh conditions. Everything is a mess. And then at the end of chapter 11, it says this, In the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. This is the context for Rehoboam to enter the picture. One of the sons of Solomon, his mother was Nema, one of the foreign wives who Solomon married, and now he is stepping into this new role this huge role of leading the nation of Israel, to lead the people, this nation, and lead them specifically in glorifying and following God. And this is his story. And this starts in chapter 12. We're going to read about Rehoboam. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he had been exiled to Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. So here's the scene. There's this critical moment in the reign of Rehoboam, right near the start. All eyes are on him. Now, remember, he did not come from a great household. He had all sorts of brokenness in his life. He did not have a great spiritual example. He had no one to show him the way. He had no mentorship about how to follow God and lead in God's spirit. He, had, he was leading a people who had completely abandoned their call to honor him. And yet he finds himself in this role. And this role is huge. The responsibility is huge. You guys have been hearing about this the last couple of weeks. There's this sacred responsibility that the king has to lead God's people. And these people have a purpose, right? Their purpose, the Israelites, the tribes, through their unity and their love, they are going to display God's goodness to all the other nations. The way they conduct themselves and how they live is to show God to all the nations, that's the commission. And so he's being asked in this moment, okay, Solomon was harsh with us. How are you going to lead? And he does the right thing. He's like, I'm going to hold that thought. I'm going to get back to you. Give me three days. He's like, I'm going to need some help here. And he goes and he gets input. 
Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was still yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people and have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you will lighten lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Yeah, it's a little intense. So Rehoboam goes to the old guys who had tried to counsel Solomon. And what they say is beautiful. I don't know if you caught how beautiful this is. They said, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. Aren't those great words? Serve them. Speak kindly to them. Treat them with honor and respect. And then he goes to the young guys, and what they say is slightly less beautiful, right? You go tell them that your little finger is bigger than your dad's thighs. And he used whips. We're going to use scorpions, right? This is just straight-up old-school trash talk at this moment, right? Let them know. He used whips. You're going to use scorpions. What does that even mean? Some people have speculated that, you know, whips obviously were very commonly used to drive slaves or an instrument of torture back then. Scorpions, some have speculated that scorpions was the name for the type of whip that had fragments of metal and glass on the ends of it, attached to the tip. The Romans used that sometimes. We can't really confirm whether that's what he was referring, what they were referring to. But the message is very simple. Control them. Make them submit to you. Get them to do what you want them to do. Show them that you are king. It's quite the contrast of advice, right? We have two distinct camps. And you may think, okay, this is, this is just a political difference, right? This is just a disagreement about strategy. No, it is, it is far bigger than that. Right? The young men, the people he grew up with, they are saying to him, just continue the ways of your father. That free fall, spiritually, that that was taking place, just go with it. Get these people to obey you. They are here for you. Get them to serve. You are the king. And the old counselors were saying, no, 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 it is time to repent. It is time to get back to God's ways. The ways of God's kingdom, right? What is God's kingdom? The kingdom of God is where his reign and his rule is being realized. It's being recognized and experienced. And they're saying, let's get back to that. In the book of Deuteronomy, I think David talked about this last week. God had actually explicitly said what the king should do. And one of the things that the king was supposed to do was to read God's law every day. Every day. So he knew it. So he knew what God wanted, and he could obey it. But it also says there was another reason why. 
It was so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So he would understand who he really is, a servant of the real king. He is not above the people. He is to serve the people. He is to lay down his life for the people. And so in some ways, this is a huge moment right off the bat in Rehoboam's life. The question that's being asked is, which kingdom are you going to serve? Who do you really think is king? And I love these old guys. I love that they're old. I know. Okay, boomer. I I just love it. I love it. Because there's this point where there is so much momentum going in the wrong direction in this passage, isn't there? One of the reasons I, I wanted to share the state of Solomon's life and household in the nation is, is the momentum was going like a, like a train out of control away from God, away from the things of God. It's pushing towards more sin and more injustice and more harshness. And yet, through these old people, the voice of the Lord is still speaking. Isn't that awesome? The voice of the Lord is still speaking. He is not so far gone. And this is what we see. We're going to see this throughout this whole series, and I hope you guys catch this. Saul had this voice, the voice of Samuel. It was the voice of the Lord. Solomon had the voice of God himself. For Rehoboam, it was God speaking through these wise counselors. God is so merciful. Think about this for a minute. He made Solomon the wisest man ever. After watching what he did, he, how could he not have been tempted to be like, okay, that's the best I can do for these people. I'm out. They're done. Shut it down. There's no hope. I gave that guy all the wisdom. But he was still speaking. You know, I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the fall, we talked about our theme for the year, and our theme is, is to listen, that we as a church would learn how to sit and listen to God. And, and I know that when we talk about those things, many of us, we can feel things like, well, I'm too far gone. God has nothing to say to me. I'm too messed up. And I read a passage like this, and I know it's not true. If he was merciful enough to speak to Rehoboam, he is merciful enough to speak to us right now, to speak to each one of us right now. And that's what he's doing through these individuals. And this is how Rehoboam responds. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, eagerly expecting something great. As the king had said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given them, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Womp, womp. Okay. I was hoping for something better. This is not a happy story, right? If you've read this already, you knew this didn't end well. Rehoboam decides against following God's kingdom, and there are dire consequences, right? The nation splits. The people that were supposed to show the glory of God through their unity are now divided. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they're off with Rehoboam, everyone else with with Jeroboam, and there's continual warfare between them. And Rehoboam, this was just the beginning, he does evil in the eyes of the Lord. The sins of the nation committed stir up God's anger more than ever before. It got worse. Lots of lives were destroyed. So what do we do with this? <laughs> right? This is a, kind of a depressing story. 
there's still a ton in here for us. There's a ton for us to absorb about God and absorb about ourselves. First and foremost, just like all the kings, Rehoboam points us to Jesus. He points us to the true king. And that's who Jesus is, right? The true king, the good king. You know, when Jesus describes his ministry and his rule, these are the words he uses. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And he says this, and it's, it's so powerful. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a contrast from Rehoboam, right? This is the heart of our king. Our king is a servant leader. He is a servant leader. And this is a great time for us to just stop and consider, is this how you see him? When you think about Jesus, when you think about following him, I suspect many of us in here, when we picture Jesus or when we interact in our spiritual life, we picture him reacting a little bit like Rehoboam sometimes, waiting to smite us, forcing us into labor, and lacking compassion when we fail. You got to produce, you got to get things done. Feel guilt, feel shame, move forward. I have high expectations of you. Driving us forward. Guys, this is not our king. Jesus is the king we have always longed for. Remember this exhortation from the old guys. They said this, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. Jesus actually exactly lived that out. Isn't that crazy? He did this exactly. He served us. He laid down his life for us. He spoke good words to us, right? The good news. That's what gospel means. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you are his servant forever. He literally took this advice and ran with it. He is our good king. And every time we read as we're going through the Old Testament and we see these kings and we see what could have been or will they fell short, there is, there is this pointer to King Jesus, a reminder. You know what? A good king has arrived. And we can worship him. But Rehoboam does something else. Rehoboam serves as a warning for us. And maybe warning is too strong a word. We, I was trying to, Ian and I were trying to come up with better words. We couldn't come up with a better word than warning. So I'm just going to stick with it. That sounds kind of negative. He serves as a lesson for us, a reminder to us, an exhortation to us. You know, it can seem so distant. We read these stories. It's like, whoa, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago in a culture and a land I don't understand. How does this connect to me? Well, throughout this series, we keep coming back to this question, right? Who is my king? Who am I following? 
Who do I serve? And last week, Dave gave us a challenge. I don't know if you remember this, but he gave us three questions that will give us insight into where our heart really is. Pop quiz, what are they? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to, you don't have to answer that. I'm going to tell you what they were because they were so good. He said, if you want to know if, if Jesus is your king, start looking, asking these questions. What is it that we want? Who is it that we trust? And who is it that we follow? And as we ask those sort of questions, we can start to get a sense of whether Jesus is really our king. Well, this week, I just want to add one more question. If you want to know who your king is, we need to ask ourselves, how do I treat the people around me? How do I treat the people around me? Am I here to serve them or are they here to serve me? Because candidly, boldly, Scripture tells us followers of Jesus Christ will serve others the way he served. That's what he says. Our call is to follow in his footsteps. Our call is to have the attitude that the old counselors put back and to thoroughly reject the harshness and abuse, the lording over, and the control that the young counselors gave Rehoboam. And this has big implications for us as a church, right? You know, we can sit here and we praise the Lord and we connect with him. And if Jesus is our king, then we leave this place with a changed heart for the world, for people. We can be passionate about the poor and the needy. We can be passionate about serving in our community, fighting injustice in our society, seeing the marginalized and listening to their voices. But it also changes all of our daily interactions, doesn't it? I've been thinking about this in my own life. I think about parenting and my whole approach to parenting. Do I see myself as a servant to my kids or am I trying to control them or lord over them? In my marriage, or some of you, if you're, you're dating, are you serving or are you selfishly trying to get what you want? And our families, do we enter our homes ready to serve or to be served. When you go into your job or your class or the gym, when you come into this building, the heart of a servant or the heart of someone who wants to be served. It's hard, isn't it? Think about your life for a minute. Just sit and think. I want to ask you guys, where is their momentum towards being selfish? Where is their momentum towards taking control and making others serve us? What areas of your life, what relationships of your life do you see? Oh, man, it's a struggle not to look out for my own interests. Where are you struggling to love and serve? Are we willing to stop? Are we willing to stop and listen to the old guys in our lives, the voice of God calling to us, no, 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 we need to, to repent and live differently. When we love, when we serve, it is a conscious, it is intentional declaration, I am not the king, right? It is one of the most tangible ways to declare to the world, I do not think I'm the king. I am not above you, no matter who you are. 
There is a king, and I serve him. His name is Jesus. I think I've mentioned before that my son is a freshman at UC. So he's a freshman engineering student. Uh, I brought a picture of him. This is him. This is actually his small group leader sent me that randomly. So I think he's happy at UC. Uh, great kid. Some of you know him. Smart kid. Uh, also a little naive at times. So early in the fall, he announced to me, Dad, I'm going to get a $1,000 Amazon gift card. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. What did you do? What did you do? It's like, all I have to do is sign up for a few things, but it's totally legit. I was like, no, son, it's not legit. <laughs> it's a total scam. You got scammed. Oh, I don't know, Dad. I don't know. I'll look into it. A week later, I got a package. It was addressed to my son, and it was filled with these, these books. <laughs> yeah. My 18-year-old engineering student had signed up for the I Can Read book club as part of his process to win a $1,000 Amazon gift card. So I called him up, and it turned out he had subscribed to other things, the Disney DVD club. Like, who watches DVDs? I think they're just trying to get rid of him at this point. A couple other clubs we had to work through. We laughed together, worked through all of his subscriptions and canceling them all. And all the while, he's like, Dad, I think I'm really close to this $1,000. I'm like, no. You are not. It will never end. You can already read. Let's send these back. <laughs> so we canceled these clubs. Well, last week, I was looking at our accounts. All of, we have all these linked accounts, and I was looking at our finances and noticed that one of the subscriptions hadn't been canceled. And he had been charged $10 a month for the last five months. And I had this immediate reaction. Like, I need to get him to fix this. He's going to go broke. Then I'm going to go broke. And, and we both already know how to read. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so I immediately grabbed my phone. I started texting him. What are you doing? You got to handle your finances better. You're flushing money down the whole toilet. You know, and I, I, you got to get this canceled. And I tried to be civil in my text, but, but I was committed. I would nag him mercilessly until this was done. And, and afterwards, you know, he texted back and, and he shared with me that he was less than happy with my tone. He felt a little demoralized. He felt a little angry. He felt like I had shamed him a little bit. And after I, I stopped texting him, I thought, wow, this is, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be preaching about. <laughs> this is exactly it. It was a sobering moment for me. I have been wrestling with this, thinking about this. I don't know about you guys, but in my heart, on a daily basis, I am very tempted to live like Rehoboam. I am very tempted to just go to control and expect people to serve me and to see them as interruptions or irritants or frustrations. I love control. You know what I love? I love when people do what I want and I expect. And I love when people don't interrupt my plan and don't bug me. So much so that sometimes I'll try to make that happen. And even on days when I am, I'm I'm doing good, and I pray, God, I don't want to do that. I want to serve. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a different attitude. Lord, help me. Please help me. It doesn't take much, right? A tailgating car, a coworker bugging me, a kid leaving a mess in my house, a foul on the basketball court to bring back all the Jeroboam or Rehoboam stuff, all the selfish attitudes, right? I just want to scream, you see my little finger? Whips and scorpions, man, they're coming out. Like that, it's right there. Am I the only one? Am I, I'm the only one. Okay, I've shocked you all. 
We have it there, don't we? We have this selfishness. Do you guys see that in your heart? That evening I had the thought, okay, I don't know what to do about this. God, I need help. And I asked the question, how would my king handle this situation? How would Jesus have handled this situation with Sam? And I thought about it, and I thought, man, I have done far stupider things than subscribe to I Can Read. Far bigger mistakes, costing far more money. And my king has never overreacted. And my king has never shamed me. My king shows me patience and gentleness and grace and encouragement much more than I've ever deserved. In fact, he often covers our mistakes, doesn't he? He often takes the consequences, not always, and like fixes them in ways we didn't expect. Last Monday, I went to see Sam. It was our, we both had a day off, and he, he was... Didn't have a lot to do, so I drove down to Cincinnati, and we had lunch, Dewey's, Ryan's Inferno Pizza, went to a movie, had a great time together. It was a lot of fun seeing him. And at the end of our time together, I just sat him down, and I apologized, and I told him I was sorry for being harsh with him. I told him he was doing a fine job with his finances. And then I just gave him 50 bucks. And I told him, you know what, I realized how often Jesus has covered over all of my mistakes, and it, it would be an honor to just try it once for him, to pass it along in some small way. I'm pretty sure that $50 is going to be spent on Taco Bell within a week. <laughs> totally not relevant. <laughs> there was just this moment where I thought, okay, in one relationship, in one moment of time, what if I could just treat somebody like Jesus treats me? Just to give him honor. Be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them. I know this is so hard. And I know that most of us are facing tough circumstances. And I know for many of us, we've not even had that many good examples of people doing this for us, mentoring us. But I want to tell you guys this morning, we can do this. We can live differently. We just need to ask Jesus for help. We can follow in his footsteps. What if we started treating people the way Jesus has treated us? And guys, I just want to make it clear. The lesson here is not things would have gone better for Rehoboam if he had did what God wanted. I'm not sure that's even true because the Lord had actually told Solomon that his kingdom would split and it would happen when torn away from his son. So it looks like Rehoboam was going to lose this kingdom anyways. And the same is true for us. I'm not telling you to go love and serve and then your lives will be free from suffering and you will have many riches and people will hand you $50 bills. That's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is if we do that, we will be honoring our king. We will be declaring to everyone around us that, that we serve a king, and his name is Jesus. And that's worth it. We're going to end today by taking communion. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And this is a practice that Jesus 
himself instituted, and he instituted it for us to remember. And what are we remembering? Simply this, our king is not like Rehoboam. Our king came to serve. Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. That's what we are remembering together. When we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, as the band leads us in a couple songs here in a second, I just want to encourage you guys to worship and pray and and think about what I've been reflecting on this week. Reflect on the ways Jesus has shown you grace and mercy. Guys, if we would just do that regularly, we would be transformed. A love for people, a gratitude, a heart to serve would well up in us if we could just push into how deeply we have been loved by Jesus and how much we have been forgiven. And as we sing and we worship, I just want to encourage you to do that. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you to come up at some point during the songs, take the bread and juice. I think we have gluten-free over there. And together, let's recommit to following in his footsteps. Jesus called them to him and he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with a desire to see. Lord, we ask that you would help us freshly connect with your character and your heart as our servant king. Our hope and our desire is to follow in your footsteps, but we know we can't do it on our own. We humbly ask you for help. Give us courage. Give us faith in you as king. As we remember you sacrifice for us, will you show us how we might serve? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.